This is the Dementia Podcast. I'm Colm. For the elderly, home can be a lonely place. I have no family here. I'm basically on my own. Now, a life-changing social experiment returns. Hi! Hello! The old people! That's season two of the show, Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds. The Australian show building off the one that found life in the UK. We didn't give them antidepressants. We gave them interaction with children. That was the driving force behind the show, Professor Susan Curl. There is a basic assumption in old people's home for four-year-olds, and in Sue's work more generally, that people with dementia still have a life to live. There's still joy and connection to be made. Someone I think would agree with her is Donna, who lives with dementia and who I spoke with back at the International Dementia Conference. To speak about that people who live with dementia, that we have abilities and um, it's like when you when you get diagnosed, it's like a death sentence, right? So it changed your whole persona of lookout of life. But I just thought, no, I, I think um, that can't be right. It can't be that's the end. When Ilsa talked to Donna, we heard how both understanding the diagnosis and processing it can be difficult. A lot of that comes down to the language we use. That D word is a wide umbrella term, and sometimes even starting that conversation can be couched in confusion. Sue is a practising geriatrician current professor in healthcare of older people at the Faculty of Medicine and Health at the University of Sydney. Colm interviewed her for this podcast, working long distance and probably awake at some ridiculous hour. I think the term umbrella is a really good term for dementia because that's the catch-all name for a whole, uh, a whole stack of conditions that cause problems with memory, with thinking, changes in personality and behaviour and all impacting on day-to-day function. And I am very careful. I explain to people dementia's the the umbrella term, but there are specific causes for it. Just as with cancer, cancer's the umbrella term, but the causes could be lung cancer or bowel cancer or prostate Mm -hmm. cancer. So I describe it like that. And I then point out that their sort of dementia is probably Alzheimer's disease or vascular or stroke-related dementia, or perhaps dementia with Lewy bodies. So I try and use dementia more generically, but then become quite specific about the cause and try and explain to people that they're all very different diseases and they, they progress in different ways and we manage them differently. And could you... Um... Perhaps give us a sense with Alzheimer's and uh, vascular dementia, what might we see that is different if you were explaining to me that I had one of them? So certainly with, with Alzheimer's disease, which in Australia is the most common form of dementia and unfortunately is the one for which we don't have a cause or a cure, but with Alzheimer's disease, you usually see gradual onset of symptoms and people will come to you with memory problems. But when you look back, you see, oh, they've had a bit of depression or anxiety and they weren't doing things as well for quite a while. And it's that gradual progression with um, 
with the changes in their memory that makes you think it's more likely to be Alzheimer's disease and it's more likely to involve memory in particular. With, say, vascular dementia or what we used to call stroke-related dementia, um, it's quite different. It's often much more sudden in onset and it may just affect one particular area of a person's um, memory or thinking. It can affect speech or calculation or insight or perhaps even decision-making. So it's a little more specific and it comes on often a little more quickly and in a stepwise fashion. And then you might compare that to dementia with Lewy bodies, which is different again. And often people have relative preservation of their memory. So they do well on memory tests, but they have hallucinations and they have disturbed sleep and they get other symptoms perhaps related to to a Parkinson's um, disease like um, uh, state. So it is very different to, say, Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. During Ilsa's conversation with Jim and Claire, Ilsa wanted to know how much information they had sought out after diagnosis. We went into this early onset dementia, Alzheimer's, knowing nothing other than what we were told at the trial and knowing only from a little bit of reading. And I try not to read, particularly on the internet, because it's a bit scary. Yeah, yeah. So I stay away from that. I, I've Sorry, heard... I just, when I got pregnant, my midwife was like, do not Google anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dr. Google is dangerous. Do not do it. You're going to freak yourself out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you there. That's okay. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> and so as a result, I try not to uh, listen to podcasts or... TV shows or things like that about this subject because mm. it all is, it ends in disaster. Mm. So we've gone into this knowing nothing and just taking each step as we go, each step as a stride, if you like. Some people do it differently, other people do it the same way. I don't know what the best way to approach it is. I'm with Jim when he says Dr. Google can be scary. And we see from Jim that the progression can be difficult to understand and manage. And there really isn't a one-size-fits-all either. So when I was working as a practitioner here in Edinburgh where I'm recording, um, we had a guide that came from the local health authority. um, And people used to say, if you were handing somebody that guide early on, tell them not to read past page 50. Now, what they were really saying was, don't uh, scare them about some of the things that will become co- more complex. We talk about complex dementia when things are in that sort of phase rather than overwhelming people with some things that might or might not happen. I think that's exactly the, the issue when you give people too much information and they read through it and they, they ring you up or they email you and they say, is this really going to happen to mum? Mm-hmm. And I say, everyone's different. This guide is written. Um, by this particular person about his wife. But Mm -hmm. some of this may happen, but a lot may not. And Mm -hmm. I think reassuring them that whatever does happen, we'll be there to give you a hand for it. We've usually got ways we can manage, whether it's the behaviour or to provide assistance. Those sorts of things are really important. 
I think, and it was brought home to me in a clinic I did this morning in Northern Sydney with a, with a couple that I have been looking after for nine years and the wife is about to go into care. And the husband said, will you still be there for us, even though she's going to be in care? And I said, absolutely. He said, it's so important. We've got you and a couple of other staff who they're familiar with, they're comfortable with. And we might only just be on the telephone. It's no big deal for us, but it's a really big deal for this man. And I think providing that reassurance that no matter what happens, we will try and help in any way we can is really important. Where care is in bits and people go from one area to another with no continuity, I think that must be really, really hard. When chatting with Sue, I posit that since people are so individual, the condition will affect them differently. It's, yeah, it has to be really, really individual. And it's where the person's at at that time. So you can see one person who, and I'm thinking of a couple, where the husband has always been incredibly bossy. His wife has developed dementia. He just takes over. And she's used to that. And he puts services in place and he says, you'll do this and you'll do that. You'll go for a walk every day. And it's surprising. She actually does quite well because that's what works for her. It may not work for someone else. And then you've got to go in and very gently say to the husband or it might be other family members, look, maybe this isn't the right thing for your mum. Why don't you get her to come to one of our groups and we'll look at you know other ways of doing this? Certainly getting adequate assessment that looks not just at their cognitive problems, but their functional problems. Are they likely to be a real false risk? Remembering people with dementia fall twice as often as people mm-hmm. without at all ages. So it's very much saying, okay, if you're going to do your walking, this maybe do it round an oval or in certain um, safer environments. Yeah. It's thinking about the provision of, of food and adequate assistance with that, of housekeeping. I've lost my cooking skills. So, oh, and I've, so just trying to time things. I burnt, I cook, I moved in with my son now and I said, oh, I'm going to cook you dinner tonight. My doctors told me to stop, turn, get the gas can disconnect. I said, I don't like microwave, I like gas cooking. So I argued with my doctor and I said, I can do that as long as I get signs put up. So I had signs to turn off the, um, the signs to turn the oven off and everything. So I burnt the potatoes, but I, but I just manage it. And thinking very much to the future, which is a whole new, you know, so another area of planning ahead in terms of legal, financial, sometimes work, um, mm-hmm. driving, um, maybe moving to a, a better house, a better environment, all those sorts of things are very individual depending where the person is at at that time. When Colin was talking with Sue, Sue mentioned follow-ups after the initial diagnosis that might be able to provide support or clarity, more for the family and the people around the person living with dementia. We are developing where I work in Northern Sydney uh, um, what we call a, a care navigator role So once we make the diagnosis of dementia, the same nurse that might have done some of the memory tests with the person will ring them afterwards and say, 
um, you know, introduce themselves, remind them that they had met and say now, have you got any questions about what mm-hmm. Dr. Curl told you? And or would you like to come in and talk about it? And then she will have information available. Sometimes we'll actually organise a follow-up appointment with me within a month or two if she's really worried they haven't got the message or particularly the family haven't got the Mm -hmm. message. And there is pushback from family. I've had quite nasty letters. How dare you say my mother has dementia when it's Mm -hmm. plain as the nose on your face that that's what the problem is. So getting the family to accept the diagnosis can sometimes be almost as difficult or even more difficult than it is for the person with dementia. And what do you think that is about for those families? Um, Is it the stigma? Is it, uh, yeah, what what, what do you think it is? Look, I think stigma is huge. And I see that when, when I talk to people who I think really do have vascular dementia and I say, look, it's stroke. We used to call it stroke-related dementia. Mm -hmm. And the relief, oh, so it's not Alzheimer's disease. And I say, well, it's still a form of dementia. They say, oh, as long as it's not Alzheimer's, the stigma attached to that name is really quite significant. And I think that Uh that is is a real issue with families. I think it's more with families than with the person themselves. There's also that fear that family have, oh, no, we are now on that pathway. And one thing we always say to families is, look, we're here to walk this with you. And most of us who work in this area, particularly here at Hornsby, where I work in northern Sydney, have had family members with dementia. So we, mm-hmm. can, we can be with them both professionally and personally. And I yeah. think that can help. That being said, every person with dementia is different. And so just because something worked for our family members, it doesn't mean it will work for others. And we have to point out that often it's a little bit of trial and error in these sorts of areas. I got the sense that while the situation was tough on both of them, Jim was determined to still keep Claire's quality of life high but it was clear that some things had changed, things that they couldn't control. And my family, for example, were no support other than my sister, sorry. Mm. Um, My sister was great support, but my two brothers... Don't see them. ...climbed back into a shell. Yeah. And um, have recently made some approach to be um, seen to be Mm. supportive but that's Mm. almost too late but at the same time they're they're genuine in what they say and and that's wonderful but you have to be careful of what you expect and who you expect it Mm. from some friends fall away because they can't cope with Mm. the diagnosis some friends come closer Mm. yes absolutely Mm. yeah well you know um and so do um Oh, God, with his, with his hair. Um, no, he's, he's, oh, oh, no, 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 no. My son, God help us. Um, very, she's quite old. Janice. Janice. <laughs> Janice. Has Janice come a bit closer yes. as well? Yes, yes. You, have you felt supported by Janice? Oh, yeah. Uh, no. No, no, not supported. <laughs> Did Janice, is Janice, anyway. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 
and that's because she can't get on to Claire and she and she can't cope with being um, doesn't have as much doesn't no but she she found it hurtful she was hurt as much as what you were almost yes mm. um, it was heartbreaking for her yeah it was heartbreaking for her yeah and so friends fall away and friends some friends come closer family mm. fall away and some family come closer yeah you can't expect anything of any of them it yeah. just happens and you just got to accept it in the normal course mm. and and it has been hard yeah i'm when i mean hard when i say hard i mean that it has been hurtful at times mm. and then i also mean it's been natural Mm. It's a natural thing. It's not as if they sit down and say, oh, Claire's got Alzheimer's now, so we're not going to talk to her anymore. Mm. They don't do that. Mm. It just is a natural falling away. I wanted to talk to Colm about this because it just felt heartbreaking to me, but also understandable. When I was talking with Jim and Claire, one of the things they talked about was how their relationships changed after Claire's diagnosis and I guess I kind of remember that too with my own nana how people gathered around differently and they, there was suddenly a nana group email that happened and I guess I wondered is that something you've seen with people once they have a dementia diagnosis have you kind of seen the relationships around them change? Absolutely. And look, we see it in any diagnosis, you know, whether it be a cancer diagnosis, people become uncomfortable in some ways and some other people become really comfortable because they are more able to have conversations. I think that people, when it comes to dementia, struggle because we know that the verbal communication is being impacted so much. So being comfortable with silence, with the nonverbals, can be challenging for some people who in themselves may not be so their um, response is to withdraw Mm. and of course that's the last thing the family want because they actually need support they need outlets and that's why it's so important that there are groups that carers can connect talk about how they're feeling because they may well particularly as the dementia progresses have ever decreasing circles of uh, their original family resources Mm, yeah, I'm just thinking about um, someone who has de- dementia becoming less comfortable with talking on the phone and then mm. ha- what happens then? How, how, how can the people who are close to that person gather around them in a different way if that's what they're used to doing? And the most important thing is to in some ways go with the flow rather than to... Um, pull the person up because their next thing is to switch into I'm doing something wrong or I'm not presenting myself well and, and we all know that experience where you, go, you actually half your brain's now functioning and what, how you're backtracking and catch up so I think one of the important things is to, to go with it uh, to listen and listen longer because as you and I have talked about it may well be through the series of words and phrases that the person's using we get where they're trying to be, what mm. they're trying to say or how they're trying to feel. Yes, because they, they may not be using the specific language 
that's in some, mm-hmm. in some way exact, but actually they are conveying what they're trying to say in, in other, other ways. Well, I actually think in actual, I think we, I think we had too much. Did you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I did. I did. Because, because you've, you've had, <laughs> you've had recording the people of people and the silly things like that too. But, you know, when you have, when, well, when you have, like I've had three, three, three parts when we go back to, what's his name? No, what's his name? You're the Japaner. Japaner. You've been to Japan three Japan. times. Japan three times. Yeah. And I don't want to go any further. That's you've, it. You've, That's you're it. done That's going it. to Japan. And Jim says, oh, I'll come back again. I'll come back again. Is that right? <laughs> you want to go back to Japan. Jim wants to go back to Japan. Claire's well, he can done. he go back with his, bu- with his buggy boys or wherever oh, yeah. they are. I don't yeah. know who they are. They, they can go off with her, with her trip off if he wants to. <laughs> thanks for listening the dementia podcast is produced by joel martin editing by sally grosvenor mixing and technical support for the podcast is done by neil blanco fact checking and research by gina perello dr norel yo manages a music team with compositions supervised by erin mckellar who's the composer of the dementia podcast theme The composer for this episode's music is Charlotte Lehman. Our website is DementiaPodcast.com. The Dementia Podcast is a production by Hammond Cares Dementia Centre.